0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody, we're going to talk about the topic of lightweight hunting, or, uh, or just in general, considering the weight of your pack and your entire kit when you head out in the field pretty much anywhere. And to do so, we've brought in, actually, we've got a pretty big crew here for the podcast this time. So we've got Jimmy and Mark, and then going around the table, we've got Eric here scribbling something down in his notebook. Mm-hmm. We've got Ryan Muckiner, and he's been on the podcast a fair amount of times. We have Paul Neese, who also has been on the podcast, and he told a crazy awesome story last time. Maybe we'll hear some uh, more awesome stories. Um, <laughs> that was in the Blood Trail podcast, so check it out. And then, international man of mystery, Dave Hamilton. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> we've mentioned him a couple of times, actually, we've talked behind his back on the podcast a, a time or two about how lightweight, savvy he is. And so, we had to bring him on. We had to bring him on to talk about some of this stuff. He's got his laptop up, which I know on there is some pretty crazy Excel spreadsheets. It's pretty and various... heavy to bring to the podcast. Yeah, so. yeah actually. Dave's got, got You're rolling, <laughs> yeah. You're rolling yeah. surprisingly heavy to this podcast. So, anyway, talking about lightweight hunting, now there's... Kind of a buzz phrase, if you will, these days. Paul, you've you've been hunting for quite some time. You're a guide for how long again? It was oh, a long
1: time, about eighteen years. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of high altitude stuff, a lot of sheep hunting, high country mule deer, goats. So yeah, I've counted ounces in my time. <laughs> you have
0: okay. So even I guess back when you were guiding for quite some time, lightweight hunting is it like nowadays, is it coming on scene or has it always been a thing? Or is it just that the technology has advanced so much lately? Or, or what, what do you think? in your you know, experience? It's, it's,
1: I'd say it's come on more in the last few years. It's always been there though. You know, anybody, you can go back and read stories of sheep hunting, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, everybody was, even then you were conscious of the weight, the stuff you hauled around. Technology has certainly changed though. And, you know, and, and Dave will get into some of that stuff as we get going. But The options that you've got now for gear, from food to tents to, you know, whether it's a bow gun, I mean, it's just changed astronomically from what it used to be, you Mm -hmm. know. And so the choices and the stuff that's available to people now is worlds better from what it was then. Mm -hmm. You know, back when I did a lot of that, the go-to shelter to stay in was a bivy sack, which people still use today, too. But now there's a lot of, you know, options that are probably just as light as the bivy sacks we used to stay in. And you've actually got a little room to put your gear and tent and stuff in. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of cool stuff out there. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we've talked about before here on the podcast, we got into backcountry hunting a little bit when Eric was going out to South Dakota and then uh, later Montana. People inevitably always pack probably or have a tendency to pack more than what they actually need. So some of lightweight hunting are considering your weight is is sometimes just not packing as much stuff Absolutely. and so i'd be I'd be curious to hear some of your guys thoughts on that but then also once it comes down to what you do pack there's some pretty crazy stuff I think this is some of the stuff that uh, I was so baffled at when Dave was talking about that you do take into consideration we'll get there but things like uh, understanding calories per ounce of food that you take <laughs> like what is the most what is the most nutrition packed food things like Mark has his classic example of stoves. I'll let you bring that one up. I don't want to take your thunder. But, uh, yeah, why don't you guys, like, start tossing out some things. Like, I mean, first off, just not taking as much stuff. We talked about a little bit in Backcountry Hunting, but, like, do you need 18 pairs of socks? Do you need your favorite college hoodie to lounge around in around the tent? You know, like, do you need 20 pairs of underwear? I don't know. Who wants to start? Boy, there's so much stuff to go over. I,
2: I want to yeah. go over socks real quick because that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. Right, right. Yeah, we so well so. got to yeah. start somewhere. My hunting partner will inevitably listen to this podcast. And um, we returned from Wyoming a couple weeks ago from an um, antelope and mule deer hunt. And we took my truck and I brought a small tote, my pack, my gun case, and that was it. Oh, and my cooler. And the rest of the vehicle, all of this fit into, my, uh, into the cab of my pickup. And the rest of the vehicle to the roof was full of his stuff. So, Kenny, if you're listening to this, you only need to bring <laughs> two pairs of socks. Uh, my first trip in 07, I, I, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, I think I brought 14 pairs of socks, planning on stepping in puddles and lakes every day at least twice and then having a pair of socks to change into it. And that's, it's not required. Don't overpack your socks. Get a good pair of performance wool socks and get two and then just bring that. That's fine. Rotate them out.
1: Yeah, okay. and, you know, a lot of that stuff, guy can wash a pair of socks yeah. every other day. Not that hard to yep. wring them out, usually hang them in the sun when you're hunting during no. the day or in the breeze. And it
2: and... feels good. You take your socks off after a long boot in. Oh, man, let that air flow around your toes. Oh, your yeah, yeah.
3: That's, uh, yeah. Well, a lot of that comes into just knowing, you know, when you're in the wilderness, learning different tips you can do for things. Like, so, for example, if you're in a snowstorm, and you can't really hang up a wet pair of socks. You can actually lay them. I know this sounds horrible. You can lay them out on your chest underneath your sleeping bag. And your body heat will just dry them out overnight. So there's different really? things you can do like that to you know, keep it to a minimal amount and not have to have you know a set of socks for every day you're out there.
4: Totally. I just went on a, a hunt where we weren't backcountry camping. We are actually staying in, in a very lovely place. And I brought an extra pair of socks for every day and i think i think i w- i think i did only wear two of them yeah, <laughs> yeah. is it is it kind of uh, an inevitable thing to get
0: your socks wet or or is most of the time that you guys are talking about getting your socks wet is that just when you wash them and why would you
1: why it depends
3: are, on the hunt yeah. i would say
0: it greatly varies
3: on the hunt
1: yeah and you know and if you're if you're hiking a lot even if if you never Fred, you're going to get some foot sweat in yep, there. They're going to sure. get damp and wet, yeah. so you might as well figure on that.
2: Yep. I got me some wet socks for the first time, like wet, like from outside moisture, this past September when I was bow hunting in South Dakota. So I changed my socks. That was it. I there done you have one. it. I mean, foot sweat, yeah, but not, not, like, not okay. like wet, yeah. wet. So my boots got wet.
5: Okay. Is there a specific material you guys are looking at when you're choosing a sock? I've heard, like, Paul, you mentioned wool. Are you referring to merino or...
1: Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, you could run Merino. I mean, I'm I'm not wildly picky about what type of wool is in my socks. I'm, I'm generally, I'm kind of looking for a good fit in the boot. So sometimes that might be mm-hmm. a sock that's a little bit thicker, a little bit thinner. But I do, you know, I do strive to get that kind of ideal, you know, no slop, no movement, but yep. not quite tight enough that it's pinching off circulation or someplace in there. Mm. Dave, what yeah, were I've you... Yeah, I've
3: tried... Um... I've tried various things like alpaca wool supposed to be That's what I was roughly ask about. three times warmer than merino wool. But, um, what I found is the most important thing. I mean, Paul hit it is, is the fit of the sock. And it sounds kind of weird to say that, but it's something I re- recently learned actually just through trial and error and the, the alpaca wool socks, yeah, they're warmer, but they, the ones that I found just didn't fit very well. They didn't have a good shape. They didn't hold to your foot, and so
0: hmm. you're
3: going to get blisters with that. Kind of
0: slippy-slidey like when yeah. your foot was in them. That's yep. never good. So I went
3: back to a Merino wool sock that makes a really good fitting sock. And actually, the sock that I'm using doesn't have a whole lot of stretch to it either, and so it stays put a little bit better. Hmm. So I,
0: I like to wear my basketball yeah. socks, so that way if any deer are looking to get dunked on, I can <laughs> just yeah. show them up yeah. in yeah.
4: their face. Yes. Yeah. Back, now,
1: back to that talk on the fit, too. A lot of times... Especially if it's a hunt where you're climbing a lot and it's yeah. pretty hardcore stuff, I will wear the really thin little silk liners. Yeah, that was my underneath next underneath question. Underneath that wool sock, and yep. so there again, it's kind of stacking that fit. You know, you don't you yep. don't want them to be pinched and cool. your foot crushed in there. But the the silk liner will help your foot just move in there a little bit easier, a little less likely yeah. to get blisters. Gotcha. and Damage to oh, your feet. Yeah, so. yep. that was my next yeah. question. Glad you touched on
4: that. Now what the? Because I've worn those before. And they kind of weird me out because I feel like my foot is actually slipping more than it normally might. But you're may- probably
1: you're probably a little loose on the overall fit. Then would be my guess. You know, usually just, by the time I've got a, a silk liner and a wool sock and I'm in my boot, I don't really notice that silk liner anymore. I just it just feels yeah. very Maybe comfortable. It the, it's Mark not too tight. Mark likes to get his boots big. He
4: did <laughs> a, a little bit, a little bit big. He fought too about big. this. For I'm, a long time. Because you, you say that you want, me. you're like, I want my toes jammed in there. And I'm like, Aye, I don't okay. think that's a great uh, idea. I over-exaggerate
0: a little bit. I just don't like slop in my in my shoes. Yeah. And that comes from, like, sports. Like,
1: I you like, know that?
3: I mean, the boot thing actually makes me think of something else that I was thinking about. And I see this all the time hunting, even people who want to go really lightweight. And in my opinion, from what, from what I've seen out there, and, and my background, too, like before I was a hunter, I was much more into rock climbing and mountaineering. And so those communities, they were doing a lot of forging in the, in the ultra lightweight market, you know, before even some of the hunting market was. Yeah. And some of the technology and equipment they had, I think, was advancing um, faster. And now the hunting market's starting to catch up to that. But coming from that background, I tend to go with lighter weight footwear, footwear that doesn't have as tall of ankle support. Now, some people need that ankle support, but what I see a lot of times out there hunting is people using these giant boots. They're, they're just way overkill for the situation. And, you know, I mean, I just did a, an extremely hard hunt and I had, you know, just a, a mid-top, pretty lightweight boot. And, and a lot of guys will, will, will think, well, this is a really crazy hunt. I need to have these giant, giant like, boots. Like a on, mid-calf,
2: full-lace. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just,
3: I mean, there's no flex to the sole whatsoever. You know, and I mean, for me, unless I'm going to be like the vast majority of the time on deep snow, I, I want flex in my, in my footwear. I think a lot of guys think they need to have these giant, super stiff boots. You know, but I think more flex is good unless you're really gonna be kick stepping for a good a good part of your hunt in now, snow.
2: Now, how much of that, kinda knowing a little bit about your workout and prep regimen, how much of that is training do you think?
3: I think that part of
2: it is. Yeah. I think so, guys oh, it's get used it's to, ankle yeah. strength is yep. part of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 and then arch yeah. and then arch strength yep. and, and everything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I know if I were to take Well, actually I did. I switched from my, my full gray, or my full leather boot to my synthetic boot on that that hunt in South Dakota because I got them wet. And they weren't drying quick because we had a lot of moisture and we weren't making fires or anything like that. So I switched to my synthetic boot, which has much less sole rigidity to it. And in two days, right. I could definitely feel a strain that wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, of course, conditioning. I think you can work that out. So, yep, I yep, mean, for
0: sure. That's a, thing, that's a thing that the running market has gotten into. You see a lot of these like, barefoot-style running yep. shoes mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff. I remember like being in track in high school and college switching over to that at one point and it's like your first two weeks of track practices in those barefoot style shoes you just you want to die
2: yeah yeah
0: but after a while you gain tremendous amounts of foot strength actually i mean this is just inside but after i've used those types of shoes ever since and i used to have really big problems with my ankles with ankle rolls and stuff like that i have put my ankles through absolute hell and high water now since doing this it's like i've never had a rolled ankle ever again
2: so So it's a good note mm -hmm. to anyone listening i guess don't go out and buy the lightest weight minimalist hunting boot you can (laughs) yeah because don't dive in yeah yeah. Yeah. train in those, and then yeah
0: you got to step down like there's there's they have levels of like you know oh this one is literally basically like your bare foot but with like a rubber thing on the bottom of your foot you know there's stepping down is usually a good idea
3: yeah
4: but well you know then you're just talking about the weight of those boots though i mean the hunt will dictate that, too. I mean, it if terrain, you're going like late-season, yeah. yep. cold-weather hunt, you might yeah. need yep. a little bit
0: more boot. You know? Yep, for sure. So what other areas, like, okay, we've talked about feet quite a bit here, your socks and your boots. What do they call, I mean, maybe we should call this something about your feet. What do they call those people who work with feet?
4: Podiatrists. Yeah, podiatrists. Don't go there. <ahead>. Um,
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, so anyway, but what are other areas, like, okay, so here's one, for example. I think, well, a lot of it, I think, just comes down to not taking excess. Right? Like, we're going to go, actually, tomorrow, we're leaving, uh, Mark, Ryan, and I, we're leaving for Nebraska, and we've talked about probably only wearing, like, one outfit, so to speak, I don't know what else to call it, the whole time. Because, I mean, you'll probably be fine. Like, I'm going to take, okay, I'm taking two backup pairs of socks, just because that's me. Way too much weight. I'm taking, like, one. Way too much weight. I'm taking one, like, people shirt, like, you know, just like a shirt, shirt, and then, like.
4: And that's not even while you're hunting, though. That's
1: just no, that's to just, and from.
0: Yeah, to and from. And then, but otherwise, it's just basically like the gear. Yeah. yeah. Like rain gear, the soft shell, the base layers, the, all that stuff. And it's like, if you've got that. As far as gear, you know, that stuff goes, yeah, clothing. Well,
2: we touched on this on the one of the, I think, the first iteration of the Backcountry Hunting Podcast. And that was just outerwear and its weight. And when I had switched to technical hunting clothing versus like well, I guess we'll call it store-bought hunting clothing or like big box store hunting clothing. I asked myself, how did I ever do it? Because my entire clothing system, not counting like rain gear, went from like an eight-pound parka and six-pound pants to like eight pounds of total outerwear.
4: Mm-hmm. And Ryan, what piece would you say gave you the warmth that you needed without the weight? It
2: was the puffy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Mark's puffy. Oh, the that was imp- music to his ears. Yeah, miss yeah. Mark. <laughs> yeah. The, the first year I worked here, I, he's like, you got to get a puffy coat. And I'm like, God, who is this guy? Probably this guy sips lattes yeah. at, at <laughs> coffee stores with his puffy yeah. oh, yeah. coat. Soy lattes. Soy lattes. I mean, I'll tell you, and
3: I wrote down like some big picture tips here, but like one of the things I would say, as nerdy as it sounds, if you're gonna do a serious backcountry hunt, is, is make a spreadsheet. I know it sounds oh, yeah. super nerdy, but and you know, on me being you know, more of an engineer, I mean I, <laughs> I I think that way, but if you can't see what you're what you're mm-hmm. carrying, you can't attack the heaviest areas mm-hmm. of your kit right away. And so, you know, that's what I'll do is I'll lay out a spreadsheet and I'll actually weigh everything that goes in my pack. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I will weigh every item and I'll put it on that spreadsheet and I will break that spreadsheet down to show like what's gear weight, what's food weight, what's anticipated, you know, three liters of water at any given period of time weight and the various components of of that weight. I'll break it all down so I can really, you know, and then what I do is I look at what's the heaviest thing in my whole kit right now. And I ask myself, is there any way I can make that lighter? Yeah. And I start there. And then I make that lighter till it's no longer the heaviest thing anymore. And then I look at the next heaviest thing. And that's, how, that's what I do.
0: This is perfect. Look at Dave dovetailing perfectly podcast style into what we want to talk about, which is kind of like your spreadsheet and now really getting into that lightweight stuff. Taking things that you are bringing and trying to pare down that way or that you know you're bringing. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, yeah, it's already yeah. ensuring you're not bringing excess, but maybe you can make the stuff that you need to bring lighter weight. Now, I think some of this stuff that Dave's talking about goes back to his mysterious past. I think he's he's <laughs> been uh, he he's had to be ingrained with that ultra planning mindset. But Dave, here's one question too that I want to I want to throw out there, actually for everybody, not just for Dave, but one thing that I've seen a lot. Probably being on social a fair amount is that when you see t- people talking about lightweight hunting or you know, look at this new knife, it's all skeletonized in the handle or it looks like a tiny little unfolded paper clip with a blade on the end, you know, or whatever, people start <laughs> saying, "Oh, why don't you just do more push-ups or you know why don't you just run more?" And it's like, I see everybody here, everybody here is like fairly fit. so what are we what are we all worried about? Like we're fairly fit. I mean, why don't we just do more push-ups? We'll just carry it up, we just take more weight, carry it up the mountain, you know. I could,
3: I could, I mean, stay, I, I could I say a few I, more push I would say that if I'm hearing that from someone, I would put a good guess down that they haven't actually done yeah. a really serious hard hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are yeah. some people, there are a couple of people out there in the world that are just total supermen. I mean, you know, in the climbing world, I mean, you think of some of the famous guys like Jim Bridwell and Yvonne Chouinard and John Long. I mean, they're supermen, right? But, I mean, 99.99% of us are not you know, those guys, the Conrad anchors of the world. And I mean, people on the podcast probably didn't know that. though these are mountaineers and rock climbers that are famous, you know, from my background. And so,
0: and even those guys
3: are going as light as they can possibly go whenever they're doing their crazy adventures. And and when you actually get out there and you realize what you're doing, every ounce you can cut off is, gives you an advantage to get to where you want to hunt quicker, mm-hmm. to feel better, you know, when you are um, spending time glassing and to just not beat yourself up. Right. Yeah, a
0: lot so, of it, a lot of it comes down to how many how much you're exerting and how many calories you're using and things like that. Because I mean, it doesn't matter realistically speaking, if you're more in shape or not, yeah. let's say you take, let's say you take a 170 pound guy who's really in shape and the 170 pound guy who just happens to be 170 pounds because his metabolism's high, but otherwise he eats potato chips and uh, plays video games all day. Mark, why are you raising your hand? Uh, I, don't play, uh, I don't play video games. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it pretty accurate description. When the potato <laughs> chips came out. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's like, Oh, Wait, actually, I was kind of going off my point, but, anyways, you raise your hand anyway. But, well, like, you take the guy who's really in shape. If you put more weight on, he can't go as far. If you put less yep. weight on, he can go further. And why so, why not get every it, the, advantage you can? The more yeah, in shape said. you get, yeah. the further you can go. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I right?
3: I train way, way heavier than what I go in with. But I still, I mean, if I could have my pack be zero pounds, I would go in with zero pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I want every advantage I
0: can get. Overtraining. Yep. Yeah. That's key. Not overtraining yeah, yeah. as in, like, too much training, but, like, we call that, yeah, we call that overtrain. Yeah. track 400 meter runners. you always ran 450 workouts. So then that way when you ran 400 it was easier. yeah, yeah I mean, it's know, almost I, same. I think
1: when you were talking to me, it's like the bet you know if you can shave off excess body weight, that's only gonna be a plus for you. Mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. should definitely try to get that down as low as you can. but then yeah, having just having a lighter pack, less food, less gear, you know you can just you can go a little further, you can climb a little easier. It just pays dividends all the way around, and like Dave said, after you've done one or two of these, you realize you realize how nice it is to have less weight, yeah, it's just a big advantage, yeah. it's more energy for you. you know, I look at when you go in a hunt like that, you kind of have I always sort of see it as a a finite bank of energy that you're gonna work with, and mm-hmm. if you're carrying less weight, you're gonna you're gonna save some more of that energy to go a little further, hunt an extra day or two, or whatever it is. But it's like it pays dividends. It's absolutely worth doing.
3: Yeah. And a lot of that weight comes in food. I mean, food is one of the most heavy things that you carry on a long you know, a week long or two week long trip. And it's kind of funny because you get in this cycle where you're like, Well, if I if I take more food, I'm gonna be heavier, which means I'm gonna be burning more calories and you gotta find like this happy medium. You know, and I find on a lot of my trips like I end up taking an amount of food I'm burning more calories than the food that I'm carrying a lot of times. I'll come back lighter because it's like I could carry more food, but then I was just burning more calories and beating myself up more. And you got to find that happy medium where, you know, maybe it's just, it's just enough or slightly less than what you're actually burning. You, know? you
0: spilled the beans mm-hmm. on the last podcast you were on that we're brothers, so I'll, I'll, I'm fine saying this. <laughs> uh, but we had a discussion at a family birthday party a while back. Where you were talking about taking a small droplet bottle of olive oil because you had found out that the calories per ounce of olive oil was higher than, I mean, like what what's going on it? <laughs> like what did you actually so so you went on this, you went on this big hunt. I don't know if, if you want to say it, feel free. I'll let you do that. But you went on this big hunt. It was pretty extreme, relatively speaking, I would say. And you were really paring down the weight for it. What did you do for food again? Like I don't even remember what the ultimate thing was. I remember throwing out sardines. I suggested that. Because yeah. those things are they come in a little tin. A lot of nutrition. I actually end up not taking the
3: olive oil with me, but the olive oil is it's two hundred and fifty calories per ounce. And so it's the I think it's got the most calories per ounce of any food that I was able to find. Um your body, from what I've read, can handle about two ounces a day. So I was thinking about pouring an ounce on my breakfast and an ounce on my dinner. You know so it would be a very lightweight to get extra calories. I ended up not taking it for various reasons but I mean honestly like for for dinners I went I went to the good old mountain house now I repackaged them so okay. and this is where so getting getting into lightweight here and I'll just give you like a an idea of where the spreadsheet comes from. We'll go back tie it back to the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. so you're like, well, why did you repackage it? Well, I vacuum sealed it okay so I took this I took the food out of the package and then there's the little like fresh you know, pack it in there, whatever. I threw that out. It does not taste Um, that good anyway. Right? And then, (laughs) no, it doesn't taste good. It might as well be...
4: FYI, that is not salt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They might as well be
0: stuffing their package full of lead with that pack in there. It's so heavy. Anyway. So then I, I
3: vacuum sealed it, and I vacuum sealed it with as little of extra vacuum sealed plastic package around it as I possibly could. And then when what I did is I did a test. I weighed a package in its mountain house package before, and I weighed it after. And it was something like, uh, if I remember right, maybe 0.9 ounces lighter. Mm-hmm. And you might be like, are you kidding me? 0.9 ounces lighter? But if you go on a 10-day hunt and you're having Mountain House for breakfast and Mountain House for dinner, and you're cutting an ounce off of every one of those, well, now that's just, what is that, 20 ounces yep. you just cut out of your pack? And that's like a, you know, close to a pound and a half right there. You know, Bingo. so pound and a, pound and a quarter, I think it is, and mm-hmm. that's a lot on one item. I just cut a pound and a quarter out of my pack.
4: That is an awesome example of really showing how things add up. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So you ended up going with the Mountain
0: House, no sardines,
3: no, and then for like my meals during the day, I might actually do something different in the future. I heard from our, our good friend friend uh, Steve Ranella uh, about the Green Belly bars I'm I'm going to give that a try I'm going to actually test it out before my next hunt just to see if I want to go that way but they're they've got a lot of calories and they're supposedly pretty good to eat I just I got a couple at home I got to try Oh did you get out. them already I yeah. did get some at home to try out yeah but this time I took a lot of pistachios and almonds they're around 160 yeah, calories per ounce Yeah That's one of
1: my favorites is nuts yeah yep.
3: And then actually peanut M&Ms are about 135 calories per ounce Same with Snickers bars, I actually find Snickers have more calories per ounce than a lot of the Cliff bars do. You Mm -hmm. also
0: found that Snickers improperly weighed their bars, didn't you? You actually weighed. Oh yeah, I actually weighed them. You've got a big bone. I I mean, it says it. It says it on the pack, mind you. But he had to actually weigh them. Yeah, I I I wrote a review. I was very (laughs) mad. This, did you this, repackage the Snickers bars too? No, that, I
2: actually didn't. You wrapped them in a soy paper. Pretty so the Package is edible. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is actually this is a good
1: a good discussion because when you look and Dave can run through the numbers quickly. When you look at an overall pack for a hunt, food is a huge chunk yep, of it. You it know is. what did you figure? Maybe a third of your weight is. I mean, I was close to that. Maybe like twenty
3: pounds, roughly. Uh, um, maybe it was like eighteen pounds for about 11 and a half days. Yeah, so, it's a
1: it's a bit and it and it's a big chunk of space in your pack, volume wise. Yeah. yeah, so all this stuff is really good, and you know, hitting that calories per ounce, that's like there's like that golden number of two hundred. You know, yeah, two hundred is really good. Yep. You know, nothing less than a yep. hundred. You mentioned Dave when you came out of that hunt, and we're, what we're talking about here for everybody is is Dave did a, a hunt in the unlimited sheep zones in Montana, which is uh, we can save that for a different day, but it's a really really tough hard hunt. You came out. Tell us a little bit about. What you sort of planned going in, and I think you mentioned you came out with some food. You brought some out. You yeah. thought maybe you'd gone in a little heavy. What did yeah. you find that as you went through that hunt, diet wise, kind of worked and didn't work for you?
3: Yeah, well, one of the reasons I came out with some food is we actually came out a little bit early. I was pretty sure the area we were in didn't have a sheep, and it would have taken us so many days to get to another area to hunt that our hunt mm-hmm. would have been over by then. So it was a big learning lesson. It was the first time I I had done that. So. I think I would have had less food left over had we stayed the had full, gone the full, the full time. The... But with that being said, and this is something that's always, I mean, and this goes into another tip is I'll take these right in the rain pages and I'll rip like two or three of them out and then just a really tiny pencil to keep it as light as possible. And I'll write notes at night or in the morning or if I'm glassing and it's a slow period, I'll write some notes on on uh, what works and what doesn't work so I can remember that for the next time. And you know, food is a big one, and trying to find something that you're actually willing to eat—that you're gonna and eat, you're yeah, gonna that's actually eat—and yeah. so um, you know, it's like some some things are just harder to harder to put down. I mean, I had these dried mandarin uh, or mangoes, dried mangoes with me, and those were awesome. And even the nuts, I ate a lot of them, but I found that I didn't quite eat all the almonds. The pistachios, on the other hand, were easier for me to eat. You know, and everybody's gonna be different. And and then I just looked at what I had left over. I actually packaged everything, so I had. Like breakfast day one, lunch day one. And then I had each type of item like individually packaged with the weight put on the package. And so that way I could go back and look at, well, look, I've only eaten about three quarters of what on a daily basis. Now that it's seven days have gone by, and I can go back and see there's about a quarter left in every day that I've gone by. So I write that down and I think, well, next time I go in, I felt like I had enough energy, I had enough food, even though I lost a little bit of weight. But they're about a quarter of the of the lunch food I didn't eat, so I'm going to pack a quarter less next time. Yeah, right. That's
2: yeah. it's a hard thing to get over too, because it's food, and you think like, man, I need that to sustain. But I've found when I get out there, the same thing. My appetite changes. Like I'm excited to, you know, eat this Mountain House or these other dehydrated meals, but it get old after. Four yeah, I don't, or five, I don't, six I don't days. think I could
1: do Mountain House every day. No, <laughs> it, gets, it,
2: it gets tough, and, and so I find a lot of times, like at night. If I get back, if it wasn't a crazy exertion day where I know that not eating could really put me into dire straits, a lot of times I'm just like, I'm not hungry. I'll have a Snickers or some sort of pro bar or a Cliff Bar or something, mm-hmm. drink some water, and go to bed. <laughs> and so my, my appetite <laughs> changes a lot when I'm out there. And, and the tendency that I've always had is to overpack food because you yep. want to make sure oh, that it's you're it's easy healed. to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep. But, I do like those pro bars. Yeah. Eric, do you like to take a lot of Reese's Cups? Oh, man. I was thinking about That's your that weakness. I was wondering what the calories per ounce on those. Yeah, things when you are. when you mentioned
5: uh, <laughs> Snickers, that right away piqued my interest in figuring out what a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got, a, we locked, yeah, yeah, we have a we have a locked chocolate. Yeah, we have a
0: locked drawer at Vortex with Reese's cups in it, and it is locked so that Eric.
5: Can't get in. He's Can't get you so in. hungry. We actually man. just,
0: we, we sometimes, we do something good, we'll throw a Reese's in there.
3: <laughs> Well, and like, even you know, I think also tied with this ultra light is also speed. And so it makes me think of other things like, you know, I'll take the mountain house and there's some that are very easy to eat and also some that are less messy. And so you guys know, like when you're on a hunt, I mean, you're, you're hitting it hard all day long, hunting and glassing. And then when the sun goes down, it's like, you want to get as much sleep as you can. And so one, just, to have to take less stuff what's the easiest thing to clean up in your pot or whatever you have and then two just time-wise you know i would write down well this meal was very easy to clean up It was very tasty It was very easy to clean up and so and then maybe there's another one that was real messy and i i didn't like it as much so i'll write mm-hmm. that one off and i won't take that one again because you know when i'm done eating i want to be able to clean that cup out as fast as i can pack it away and get get in my sleeping bag
0: how much so, did your pencil kinda- weigh
3: Oh, like uh, 0.3 ounces, probably. <laughs> so, I probably have it on my spreadsheet here somewhere. I was going to
4: ask Dave when you repackaged, you know, your dehydrated meals. Mm-hmm. So you were were you pouring those into your pot and then cooking them in your pot, or were you cooking them in the vacuum seal bag?
3: So I um, was eating out of my my cup, mm-hmm. my or my pot, whatever you want to call it. It was really just like a cup. I'm not a coffee guy, so I didn't have a separate coffee mug or anything. So I cooked the water right in the cup and then and i would i would time my fuel as well so we were about 11000 feet a lot of the time and it would take close to 2 minutes to co- you know get it just starting to be a rolling boil did you calculate that ahead of time yeah yeah oh yeah the fuel fuel <laughs> weight and everything Dude.
0: yep so you you actually knew how much at a certain <laughs> elevation and a certain temperature it would take to boil water yeah you can figure that all out you can look that up and what? kind of estimate out how much fuel you need and uh, either i was a doctor or he was a, i don't know
4: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah
3: so i'd cook it and then i just pour it in to the cup and then let it sit there for a little bit and then eat it right out of the cup and then maybe clean the cup out and that was it.
4: What were you using so, to
3: clean the cup? I just, my, my fingers and I, I dump a little bit of water in there and just kind of like scrub it around with my fingers and then like fling it. I would I like to like fling it real wide so you're not dumping like a big mess, you know, being being a little bit of my granola mountaineering background the leave no trace thing, you know, plus bears and that <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. You don't yeah, want to yeah. have them coming in, but
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. interesting. Now, what I'm really excited for is Dave to make this breakthrough on dehydrating water
4: so that it's lighter yeah dehydrated. yeah <laughs> yep 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 we're talking, powdered water we're talking about burn rates of stoves there and one thing one of my favorite conversations yes, with dave is we were talking about a couple different stove options and one on the surface appeared to be the clear option if you're looking to save weight oh the lightest stove yep so it was the, light? it was physically the lightest stove and uh i think ryan and i were both Pretty excited about it, and then uh, Dave uh, let us know that he researched the burn burn rates of these two stoves we were comparing, and the one actually had a uh, the one that was physically lighter weight had a higher burn rate. So you were actually going to carry more fuel in to sustain the, the stove, yeah. and that's when I knew. I don't really need to make my own spreadsheets or do my own research because uh, I have cheat a Dave. Off. Yeah, just, <laughs> cheat <off. laughs> just cheat off. Exactly. Yeah. If only everyone had a Dave around. Yeah, it was
2: so funny, though, because we were in that conversation. We were, like, super excited about a Dave, like, nonchalantly walks by. Which you guy's are talking about? Lightweight stoves. Which one? I told him. Oh yeah, just kind of poof, balloon pop. And then just <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
0: that's how it goes around here a lot. I mean, uh, someone will come up and be like, "Hey, Dave, I just built this lightweight rifle." And be like, "How much does it weigh?" Oh, it's like six pounds. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> good <laughs> I'm luck. Sorry. With your, good luck with your herniated disc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. How much was? How much is your rifle again? What, and, can you explain it, your rifle? Well, and you know, there's lighter
3: rifles out there than what I'm using. Too. Okay. Um, I mean, there's
0: there are lighter rifles. I skeletonized barrels.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Drilling holes in the lenses of my, my optic, you know? So, uh, no, but, um, obviously want to be able to take a good shot too. And, and for me, the precision, and actually it really goes along with Vortex is being all about precision. So I like a stock that has a little bit of, I call it like a, a thumb swale. That's more of a, a, a nice shape for like a target style stock. But yeah, I had one built, and I was using a stock that's actually Glenn Seekins makes it, Seekins Precision on his Havoc rifles. And if you Google that, you can look it up and see what the shape is. But it's the weight of a lot of the lighter weight carbon fiber, more traditional mountain hunting style um, oh, but stocks it's not out carbon there. Fiber? Um, it is carbon yeah. fiber. Oh, okay. But okay. just the way he built it, it, it's it's lighter than a lot of um, the other stocks with that shape out there, and oh. it's the weight of more of what you would see in like a traditional mounting mountain hunting stock so i was kind of trying to go a little bit that was an area where i where i cheated on my weight a little bit cuz i know that i shoot better with that kind of stock but you know i had a titanium action and bolt on there actually no the one i took this year i that rifle didn't quite get finished so i ended up taking a heavier rifle this year so i'm still in the works of finishing up this other rifle that has the titanium bolt on it and has um it's actually going to end up with a carbon fiber barrel on it i calculated it out just based off of what i could see online And that the carbon fiber barrels were going to be a little bit heavier than what I wanted, and then I got one in and I weighed it, and it actually was a little bit lighter. And that actually is really a tip too. Like if you're if you're getting equipment, I always on my spreadsheet, as nerdy as it sounds, I put it down in red before I've weighed it, and then after I weighed it, I switch Uh, it to black because Uh, you will see all the time where stuff is not actually what they list on online, like those liars at Snickers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Get me started. (laughs) Yep. Um, So it's about five pounds um, is this one I'm building now. Unfortunately, the one I had to take this year was more like uh, about seven pounds rifle, basically. Which is still pretty light. Might as well just carry a dumbbell out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know.
2: I go back and forth on the ultralight rifle thing. Uh, My obsession with mountain-style rifles happened a long time ago. They're a lot harder to shoot. Uh, If you shoot a lot, then they're fine if yeah. you get really accustomed to them. But they are a harder gun to shoot. No for, question. Yeah, yeah. Is for, that
0: like the, you're more shaky with them because yeah. In, or, I mean, they, dimensionally they're they smaller. Hit you harder.
2: Yep, dimensionally they're smaller. So to, to like Dave's build, if you were to look at the stock on that, it looks like what you would find on like a police or a military sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. It's just out of an extraordinarily lightweight and strong material. So the, the rifle lends itself, I think, a, a higher degree of shootability than a lot of the off-the-shelf right ultralights.
4: Hmm.
2: Now, if you can get very comfortable shooting an ultralight rifle, you know, that's one thing. But even for as much shooting as I do and as much as I fancy a lightweight rifle, I've got kind of a line in the sand in which I'll draw, like, I won't go over this caliber because it'll start to be very difficult to shoot. Yep. And what good is a rifle that weighs nothing that you can't shoot worth a darn? So, yep. Well, and a lot
3: of guys, I think, use calibers that are way too yeah. big bigger oh, than they yes. need. It's like, you know, the precision, I think, is important. And, and you touched on something where, where I think is like, I go ultra-lightweight, but at the end of the day, you're trying to close the deal on taking game, right? And so there's a few key things where you can't really compromise. you got to have a rifle that shoots well, and you got to have optics, in my opinion. Yep. And I know that sounds biased because we're a vortex, but, I mean,
0: mm. if you can't find them, you can't shoot them. Right. You know? Especially so those are areas where, where, you know, I won't really compromise a whole lot. Yeah, especially when you're on a hunt like you were on, where I mean, finding one of those sheep is like, yep. I mean, that's Elon hard. H- uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
1: There's a reason they make it unlimited. Uh, you need the yeah. optics. Yeah. 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 If you
2: can, if you can make your rifle nine pounds or less, find weight somewhere else, you'll be okay. You don't need to strive for a three pound rifle. <laughs> <laughs> <For> yeah, <day. laughs> you just made. You just had.
0: You just. You get. Just got this like sixteen inch six five Creedmoor two What does that thing weigh? Like three pounds?
3: Uh, I'm still working on it. it no, it, I wish it weighed three pounds, but uh, <laughs> it's probably going to come out right at five, maybe two ounces over five pounds. Oh, okay, all right, um,
2: and, and that's it, that's without optic or with optic? Without. Okay.
3: Without okay. Optic, yeah. Oh well, it's not yeah. that crazy. Yeah, with it's... the optic, I'm guessing it'll be around six and a half or seven okay. With okay. The okay.
2: optic. And you don't run a bipod.
3: I do actually. Okay. Yep, oh. and that one it's got this neopod okay. that i'm running yep. and it's like a some kind of glass reinforced there's some nylon. N- there's some nice bipods yeah. out
1: there i was i was recently running one from javelin which is uh-huh. spartan precision out of the uk i think and really nice setup i mean it's about yep. it's just several ounces yeah. And it has, he's got some extendable carbon legs that you can put in mm-hmm. that thing. So you can kind of go from a low height to yep. a longer height. Oh, so it's, it's really otherwise nice non adjustable, setup. like a fixed length? and then, Fixed length, okay, yeah, okay, yep. yeah. So you basically have either a short height or a tall height. But, but again, yeah. the weight is just a few ounces, very mm-hmm. quick to yeah. use, kind of an ideal setup, in my opinion, right. for, a, for a mountain rifle. Are, are you using shooting sticks at all? No, because okay. that either that might. covers it. If it's got to go taller than that, then I'm going to rest them up on a pack sure. or something like yep, that to sure. gain an extra height yeah. But
2: yeah, I got away from bipods really some some years ago because I found it was changing the balance point of my lightweight rifles. And I really was not using bipods hmm. as much as I thought it was. I was shooting off packs or, in my case, sticks because I'm pretty tall. So I you know shoot Gosh, off bipod.
3: I always shoot off my bipod. Do you really? Just about every time I've shot off my bipod. Yeah. I
2: uh, just run into a lot of situations which I don't have a shot off my bipod. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah. So, see that. yeah, that's where Depends having on a little more height is yep. definitely helpful. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, on the hunt for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm not planning on putting a bipod on this yeah. this hunt that we're going on tomorrow.
4: Yeah. No, I think we'll be all right. You mean on
0: the uh the muzzle loader, not even the muzzle loader that's in like a PRS looking chassis oh, system.
2: Man. She's about ten pounds too.
1: That is a bizarre. I was thinking yeah, muzzle, muzzle loaders and lightweight don't <laughs> go together really well.
2: Yeah. That's a new market. I might look in that. I love <laughs> uh, muzzle loaders. That's, I think this makes number eight for me, so I've got a problem with front yeah. stuffers. But yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's a name for him, Eric. You've been relatively quiet over there. Now I think you and I are probably the most, uh, or the or the least experienced in. Absolutely. I, well, <laughs> I am the least, but you. I'm right there with you. We're, on, the, on We're this kind of stuff. in the same boat. Yep. You came in. You said you had a couple questions or something like that. I well,
5: can't... so my biggest takeaway that I brought, well, that from that that uh, South Dakota hunt and in the Montana hunt, and granted these these weren't. I wasn't camping out of my backpack. We had a base camp set up, but on both of those hunts, the number one thing that I overpacked on was fuel for my, my, my cook stove. And, uh, you know, I did that in South Dakota, way overpacked on that. And then did that again in, in Montana. Could you guys just kind of talk about that? I know you kind of dived into it a little bit, but, and water too, transporting water, you know, water,
1: water's a big one. That's,
5: that was my biggest question was water. And how do you guys stay hydrated out there?
2: Well two two good questions and So with fuel, some of it comes down to research. I've used my stove a lot and I know kinda of how long it takes like David mentioned, he knows his burn rate at that given altitude. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not Can you just o- find that
0: online on the stove's website yeah, there's, or something?
2: There's a lot of it out there. I mean there's a lot of people like Dave that this is like a very fun and enjoyable thing is to go out and discover <laughs> these kinds of yeah. bits of information. And it is really neat. There's a lot of good YouTube videos out there of guys doing mountaineering and showing you boil times between stoves and different tips and tricks, and it's, it's fun to watch. But once you kind of know what your stove has for efficiency and then how it burns, like you can kind of map that, right? Oh, and, oh, and 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 oh, how yes.
1: you know how you like to do whether you're gonna whether you're gonna run that stove morning and evening or yeah. maybe just one yeah. time during the day. You know, me for example, I tend to just run it in the evening, and then not not even every evening. You know, yeah. I I can't I can't eat like a mountain house dinner every night. I just wouldn't on a you right. know an eight nine day hunt. I'd be tired of them before then. And then in the mornings, I usually don't eat anything up at all. You know, I might just typically eat a granola bar yeah. and, yep. and and roll out and go. So yep. it's it, it depends a little bit on what you like to do, mm-hmm. you know. If you're and you know, some guys will like to carry that stove with them during the day, yeah, and, and yeah. eat up a thing of soup or something. Yeah. You know, so yep. you just everybody's going to be a little different yep. that gotcha. way.
2: And, and stove styles a lot different too. Like we were talking about the efficiency of certain stoves, and I run a particular stove that is a very low efficiency stove, mm-hmm. and, and you've seen that it's, it burns very quick, it burns mm-hmm. very hot, it boils water at low altitudes very fast, and it weighs nothing. But my trade off is it eats fuel like mm-hmm. like a drag car yeah so if if you're really if you're really conscious of this and you you've got a good windscreen and you've got everything set up and you kind of know how long it takes to boil you can sip it and that kind of thing usually one of the small uh you know like a four ounce container will last me enough of a trip if i'm worried about it i'll bring two
5: gotcha Um, yeah I,
2: i used to bring like two small ones Two big ones, on El- like, you know, just like yeah. way over the hill. Like I'm going to be packing in for two months, and it's completely unacceptable.
0: Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of it comes down to just just understanding how you're gonna how you're going to be using, not yeah. so much, and then not your, so much
2: like, and then your particular stove. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I still have a hard time getting into the the super efficient stoves, you know, that just sip fuel because they're so large, like they take up a lot of pack space. Like my whole cook kit. My cup, my canister, my fork, my everything fits inside of uh, a, what's called the GSI bottle cup, and it's like the size of a, a slightly larger than a baseball, slightly smaller than a softball, and that's the whole thing. Stove, fuel, lighter, spoon, stand, the whole caboodle, right? Hmm. And to go to one of the more efficient stoves, it would just be physically much larger, and it's, it's hard for me to do that, so I'm sure I will, because efficient stoves are better than non-efficient stoves. But
4: <laughs> Yes yeah, so and no, though. It depends on um, what you're doing, how yeah. long you're going to be there, and how times you plan on you know torching her off right yeah Yeah. it could be the optimal yeah even physical space so now we're talking about also in addition to weight yep
2: and that comes down to pack management so that's another thing like get a really good pack don't go buy the you know the walmart school bag and head out on your sheep hunt (laughs) (laughs) get get like a really good pack Investing in a pack yeah. for me, and and look at the weight in the pack. And this is something that I was ignorant to until I started here at Vortex. You need the
4: one that has the pocket for your trapper keeper. <laughs> oh yeah, and the
2: the loop for your Gigapet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when it, when I started at Vortex, and I was looking at what like Dave and Paul and Mark were running specifically, it was like these packs were remarkably lighter weight and remarkably just better built than what I was running. And so I I've switched packs three times since I've been here. And I finally yeah. f- finally settled on one that I really like, so and that's a great that's a debate too.
5: Hmm. The other question I had was water. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. Sorry. That's, water. That's that's another yeah. big. That, weight so do you, you know, uh, do you pack it in or do you go
0: bare grills? And kind of depends on where you are. You so like, well, thinking, do again, like, you actually do it how you procure water, or, or yeah, are you whole, carrying all your
5: water with you, or what? It, but, both. I mean, okay. so like for example, if you're going on a, a hunt where you have a base camp, let's say you have a wall tent set up, you can throw forty eight bottles of water in the back and you're good to go for a week. Now, on a backcountry hunt, that's not possible. No. So, like, no. you have to worry about, to your point, You got to your water. Yep, yeah. exactly. I so mean, that's... water is really heavy. Yep.
3: So, yeah. you know, you're, I mean, like, on the unlimited hunt, I'm not carrying all my water for the yep. 11 and a half days. It's impossible, you mm-hmm. know. But there's plenty of water out there, although it was a dry summer, so we ran into some issues where it was hard to find water at times. I mean, at one point at eleven thousand feet with it snowing on us, we were digging where there was a spring into the mud about two feet down to try and find water that was seeping up just to get water. We each had about a half a liter left each like did you just, like, yeah, did you just, yeah, just do like, your do your homework on yeah, where you're gonna get yep. the water. Did you just yeah, like yeah. guess a spot and start digging or did you No, I had done a lot of research ahead of time. And I knew that there was a spring there and, and there was. It just was kind of dry at, at that point in time and oh, it was yeah. real mushy. The ground was kind of muddy, but there was nothing flowing. So we dug down to try and get some water to seep up. We ended up not staying up there because the water was so hard to get but, um, and going back down to a different spot. But yeah, I mean, even, even there on the Unlimited, there was one campsite we found that was really good and it had no water at it at all. So we ended up going back to our previous campsite after dropping all of our gear and then taking every container we could find that could hold water back with us filling it all up with water and then hauling it was about 18 liters of water i think that we hauled back my partner and i to, that's a lot melting melting the, melting the so. snow isn't really an
0: option because that takes a lot of fuel probably it, if you're
3: gonna yeah your you don't snow. want to plan on that it takes yeah. way yeah. too much fuel to melt snow than what you're going to want to do
2: so eric uh, your your question there, like different means of procuring water out the wild and making it like safe to drink there's like steripens those are pretty cool they're pretty lightweight yeah um, iodine tablets they make your water taste funny.
1: But the two, they're that they're the are the ultra out of. Correct, up. yeah, but it's a yeah. great way not to
2: And uh, they take time. Yeah, they do take the a little things. time. Yeah, don't wait till the last second. Yeah. Um I use a number of pump filters from the Katadyn group. So I've got them in large to very small. I use um I've got a life straw. I've never had to use the life straw thankfully, but uh, That's
0: where you can just stick it right into the direct
2: direct from source, yeah. And it'll filter out a lot of stuff that that'll make you not feel good, but it won't filter out everything. So if I have to use my life strides, sucks. Well once
0: you get Giardia once you can't get it again, right? That's how <laughs> that works. No. No, no man. No. I've had I've had Giardia. It's like chicken pox, right? <laughs> You're gonna get a suit, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had <it.
2: laughs> I've had Giardia. You don't want Giardia.
0: Bad. Uh, I just thought I saw that on Web I
2: think. it well I am
1: <laughs> if, you, if you saw it on Web M D then. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. Legit.
0: I'm just kidding. Do I, not take that to heart. There's yeah, a little be
1: careful about that stuff. I've I've gone, I mean, years drinking water. Off the mountain without doing anything, but I'm I'm usually extremely careful about doing sure, it. Sure, sure. And that's you know if I if I can find a water source a little bit like Dave describing where it's coming out of the ground. Yep. You know I've drunk a lot of water like that and mm-hmm. drunk right on wood hasn't had been, yet hasn't been running down through no if I if, if yeah and, if I can't see where it's coming from it's yeah, it's yeah. you know then it's definitely tablet time and but uh, I usually stay away from the filters I you know I just find. They yep. tend to be a little heavy, a little bulky. Yep. They do a good job, you know, a little slow to use. I've had a break uh, on me, though. They yeah. can break, they can yep. clog yeah. with silt if you, yep. you know, if you're hot in water, like up in Alaska. You know, I guess the, the tablets work okay. You, yeah. Like Dave said, it's usually about a half hour time set yep. on putting a tablet in and being able to drink. But nice thing is they're tiny, they're small, mm-hmm. they're ultra light, you know, they'll get yeah. you by.
4: Well, what kind of water, you know, depending on your water source, can also. And I guess I'm saying this more talking to guys secondhand, but can kind of dictate what type of filter you may want to use. Because if it's really dirty, silty water, like you said, you'd be out of luck with, you know, some filters maybe versus other filters or, you know, other ways of, you know, purifying that water.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can you can do something like, you know, using a, a piece of cloth or material to take just coarse chunks of stuff that you look right. at and, and, you know, don't exactly appeal to you to the look. You know, when you get down to the little stuff, then you have to rely on the iodine or whatever it mm-hmm. is to to block that out. But I've I've drunk out of some pretty nasty looking places, <laughs> but yet where I knew the water was coming out of the ground, and, right? You know, and and I felt yep. safe about it. Some of
0: the bars too we used to go to in college, people to get drinks there and drink. I I can't even believe some of those some of those kids are still alive.
4: yeah <laughs> <Gerardia. laughs>
3: anyway. One of the things that I've done, and it's just because of you know, situations I've run into in the past where, where, you know, I've been in like Wyoming, I'm thinking of one just south of Jackson, Wyoming there, and it was so dry. And the only water we could find was this muddy seep, you know, a dried up or was drying up um, creek bed. and, And we basically were pretty much out of water. And so trying to get anything that was clear whatsoever was nearly impossible. And, you know, it was, it was hard to even pick it up because it was just seeping along the ground. So one of the things I figured out is you can take like a platypus bottle. It's like one of those um, flexible, super lightweight water containers. Mm. I cut the back of it off. So it's an open hole on the back, but I cut it in like a V shape. And then the cap, I just took my Dremel tool, cut a hole in the cap. And then I just took a piece of like coffee filter, like a metal coffee filter. And I placed it over top of the opening and screwed the cap back on. So I essentially have a bag with a V cut opening on the back side And then the front side has a, a filter on it. And so I can use that V cut to kind of push it down into the mud and collect a trickle of water. And then when it fills yeah, the bag up enough, do. you can tip it up and then let it kind of trickle out through the coffee filter and you're getting clear water. And, and that's, you know, even with tablets, you, you never really know if you're, if you're purifying everything when you got a lot of chunks in the water. Right. And especially with like a SteriPen or something UV light, the so light has to get to all the water. Yep. So you've got to have clear water if the stereo pen is gonna work. Huh. So that's a trick that's you know, maybe an ounce or two for that bag and it and it helps you get to water pre filter. Yeah. Is, is that your, your mountaineering days or, or is that stuff? your No, mystery, I learned that recently days? actually. Oh recently, huh? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I think for the for the average consumer though, plan on being in a situation in which you won't need to modify your platypus bag with a coffee filter. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you gotta uh, have something like that, right? No, you're you're doing, doing I, you do. You know, I've tried. Yeah. And
1: it's funny, listen, Dave. I mean, I've I've tried. You know, just like using Nalgene bottle, yep. and there's times it is very difficult yeah. to get that water yeah. into a Nalgene bottle, yep. so th- so you can then purify it. So that's a pretty good tip. Yep. That's a good tip.
4: I think yeah, I think that's the trickiest part. And luckily, I really haven't had to run into that. But when you have just those minuscule water sources where it's not like a flowing creek or or even just a a bigger seep or puddle where water is i guess you know more plentiful you know and then i think you're likely in that situation to run into the fact that hey there's a lot of debris in this water that you're going to need to filter out that might clog you know a a regular any kind of pump
2: or anything like that Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but
4: probably the biggest the most you know quote backcountry hunt that i've been on was a couple years ago when i went when uh, Jesse Nock and I bombed into that lake and then hiked into the Alpine. And we actually stayed in our tents the majority of that trip due to weather, predominantly fog, but we had a lot of rain as well. But one thing that was really shocking to me was with the amount of just how wet it is up there all the time and the amount of weather that we were experiencing while we were there. We, by our camp, there was kind of a like a, a constant trickle of water that was filling this pool. And then it kind of, you know, tailed out. But there was one day where we didn't get any weather. And the difference in the level of the water at that source between just that day was astronomical. I mean, I was filling my, uh, I was using a Sawyer Squeeze, which is actually a pretty lightweight water filter. But I I guess, you know, one of the maybe drawbacks with it, I, I believe if that filter or the filtering portion of it freezes, then you've compromised yep how it bit. works right yeah. yeah. um and then also if you have water with a lot of debris in it i think it you know can be susceptible to clogging, clogging and it's right. got a, yeah. a system to backwash it or whatever you want to call it but anyway my point being you think of oh i'm in the wettest place on earth and it's been wet and there we weren't at risk of not finding water but that water level was like i was filling it like i said with flowing water that was kind of cascading down one day and the next day I'm dipping down in this hole, uh, you know, yeah. weaving around sow bugs, uh, trying to fill that little bag
1: of filter water. Too, yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: I've seen pools where it's just, you know, it had a good rain. In fact, I think it was a couple of years ago, you had hunted in Wyoming right like a week before yeah. I was out there yeah. and, and it rained. And so we got this high pool. And every day, I could see that pool getting smaller and smaller, <laughs> and I was starting yeah. to calculate how many days we had left up there just based on the, the disappearing water. Basically, yeah. So. Like Dave
1: said earlier too, it it is a good idea to have some sort of a a larger container with you to haul water. Yeah. You know, I've hunted in a lot of places where, you know, you found a great place to camp. It's an ideal campsite, but you don't have water in proximity to you, and, and you do yeah. end up having to hike or you know we've had times where you know you might even have to drop down a thousand two thousand feet down a mountain to get to water it. And bring yeah. it back yep. and so you want to have something that allows you to bring back at least yep. a couple days worth of water mm-hmm. to have with you mm-hmm. and avoid you know those types of things yeah but, what's what's your guys's
2: daily minimum requirement that you feel safe and comfortable with? understanding huh. that there's extremes where you're going to have like you just don't have the option to have more than say a half a liter but what is like, what's your baseline? What do you say? About t- two and a half
1: liters. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be close time. to that. I mean, ideally, yeah. you'd, you know, you'd try to drink a gallon mm-hmm. a day, but most of the time, yeah. and, and it's that's how, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, you're just not going to be able to. And And certainly during, you know, obviously, I mean, this should go without saying, during the course of a day at any point that you cross drinkable water i'll usually really try to stop and thoroughly hydrate you know restock any containers you know maximize uh, any chance you get at a water source as you're traveling around so
2: from your style like i carry a three well it's a two and a half liter hydration compartment plus my nalgene is like what i like to have on me if so i drink out of my nalgene first and then my reserve is in my pack are you drawing from water from different sources when you see it and replenishing your stock all the time or what are you doing when you when you come across water you like stop and drink
1: yeah i would okay. usually try let's say i had a had an bottle i mean i would i would try to drink out of the existing water i had sure. until i was you know as as much as i felt i could take and then restock okay. fill that yep. thing up at that point you know if if it's a questionable source you know at that point mm-hmm. i'd put the you know an iodine tablet in there and, and yeah, carry on down the trail yep,
2: yep. I see a lot of people, when it's cold out, they don't drink water. And I think that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, a good, yeah. And, it's easy you, to do. It, yeah. it is, but it's so important. Like, if, when it's cold, uh, I like my hunting partners and guys I've hunted with, they just shut off to water consumption. And I seem like drinking 20 ounce in the morning when we go out and, like, maybe they have one at lunch. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm drinking water all the time. Like, especially especially oh, like, you, when it's cold. It's something co- co- um,
0: consciously yeah. you have to force yourself yeah, to do Yeah, cold, that. too. Uh, it usually gets usually not always but a lot of times it's really dry yeah yeah, so yeah especially you don't in, in the country it's just like it's just happening
4: yep one thing that happened to me when I was hunting in Colorado a couple of weeks ago with the hush guys was uh i had my water bladder in my you know my pack and then the hose was exposed to the elements yeah and it was and it, it froze. was froze solid yeah, yeah. Ooh. one Luckily, thing you can do we to a fire to stay that warm and, is is to blow air back through the
3: hose yep. Yep. Um oh, and done. especially if you have a valve to shut off the flow, then you can blow air through the hose and then shut the valve off to keep
4: that makes air in there.
3: But it still isn't always foolproof if it's really cold and right. you have even a little bit of water in there, it can still the other thing is is the the end that you're drinking out of is to tip that up slightly. So don't have it coming and hanging straight down because yeah. that's the hardest part to get water unfrozen from is the tip. So like if you're in really cold weather, I'll bend it and tip it up and then that way the gravity drains any water away from the tip that mm-hmm, you're drinking out of and it might be somewhere in the middle of the hose and it's a lot easier to bend that hose and break, break the ice yeah. and then get water to flow again gotcha huh. so those are some tips if you're using a, a hose mm-hmm. in yeah, cold weather i know some people don't don't use you know hoses at all in cold weather But
4: that, one thing that i found actually just by which kind of defeats the purpose of having that ac- accessibility of that hose like oh i'm thirsty like I always feel like with a water bladder, I am more inclined to drink than to like unscrew my analogy and this, that, yeah. and the other. You are like yeah. it's just yeah. a little bit faster off the on the go. But I just pulled it out and then tucked it back into my pack. And I think just not really probably being exposed to the wind chill, perhaps, yeah, and your body seemed, heat a little by bit and large, too. and my body heat a little yeah. bit seemed pretty much sufficient to keep it from from doing that right. again. Right. All this brings up an interesting point. I
0: think Dave andor Paul and or Ryan brought it up earlier, which is. Being lightweight and understanding a lot of the ways to shave weight, help yourself go further, hunt longer, whatever it is, is important, but also understanding the practical application of everything that you're doing and that you plan to do and probably practicing in a weird sense of the word prior to doing it, you know, like you might see, even if it's food. You might see ahead of time where it's like, oh, well, if I eat this food, this has this many calories per ounce, whatever. Little did you know you would never tried the food before and you have a horrible reaction and you (laughs) wind up in your pants. You know, it's It's, like if you don't don't try that stuff or it could be a certain kind of pack. This pack is super light, really well built. This is the other thing. I'm going to buy it and just pack everything up and take it. That pack doesn't fit you right at all. Yep. You know, it, it could be anything. All, and if the, you go, all this
1: stuff from, yeah. from boots, socks, gear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trying, do trying the
0: water it. filter that you have yep. prior yep. to going out to making sure that it actually works. Maybe taking it out in cold weather if you're going to go
2: on yeah. a cold weather hunt. Yeah, you want
3: to test everything
2: you yeah. can. So sleep systems are a big one. A sleep system, has, a, depending on how you do it, can can be the make or break and weight. you yeah. know, because you want to be comfortable when you sleep, you want to be safe when you sleep, especially if you're in yeah. cold environments, things like this. But I've done this, I've made this mistake before, looking at numbers and figures and and ratings and things like this and saying like, oh, that is going to be perfect for me because it weighs this little, it's supposed to be that warm, has that level of fill, and I did it the wrong way. And sleeping at below freezing, even if it's 31 degrees, below freezing with an inappropriate sleep system is miserable. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. and, and I've slept way colder than that now that I've kind of trialed and errored and found a, a good way to do it. I've slept below zero and it's great, but yeah. you have to try it. You, you can take somebody's word for it. And that might work for that person, but depending on the individual, how that person likes to sleep, whether they can sleep cold, whether they're okay with waking up every two hours and readjusting because they're not using a ground pad or anything like that.
0: Mm.
3: And the sleeping bags are rated assuming you're using a ground pad. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people don't know that. Oh, they see well, a bag right. and it's like, well, it's 10 degree rated. Right. Well, it's 10-degree rated, assuming you have a ground pad. So when they test that... And a
2: specific pad.
0: Yeah,
3: you have to have a certain R-value pad to reach that 10-degree rating.
0: So it's kind of like when bullet companies say they're uh, feet per second on their uh, cartridges, but that's assuming that you have a 30-inch barrel
2: and you're shooting it. (laughs) Yeah, at 10,000 feet
0: elevation. Well, the the ground is a tremendous
3: conductor of heat. So if you're laying flat on the ground without an insulating pad between you and the ground, it's going
4: to suck that heat right yeah. out of you. I don't care yeah. how,
3: how much down you
4: have, you know? Yeah.
3: Well,
4: and to my knowledge, like, you, I guess sleeping bags specifically, I'm not sure there actually is a standard way that that stuff is measured. I mean, I think
2: there's,
4: companies might have. There's a couple standards yeah. out there, I Are think. Are there? Okay. There's, yeah. Euro- there's European,
2: there's um, American, yep. there's male, there's female. What else is there?
1: I don't know. Those are the, the only ones I've seen. Yeah. I, think that, yeah. I think that's it.
2: And, and the, again, it's super subjective though. Because It is.
1: Yeah. I, wouldn't, I would take all those ratings yep. with yeah. a grain of salt I, until I, you try it yourself. Try it. The, yeah.
2: the more I do it, the more comfortable I am sleeping cold. But early on, like I, I remember very fondly in the BWCA of Minnesota sleeping. I was excited to make a Kwanzaa, or Quonset, Quincy. What do they call them? Snow huts? Quincy? I was excited to do this. Crawled in there. Oh, man. I did not sleep. I had zero hours of sleep that night. I was so miserable. <laughs> but as time goes on, and you figure out how to do it, like you figure out like w- what can get cold, and you'd still be able to sleep. Like your nose goes numb. That's eh, okay.
5: Yeah, that's. Fun. But <laughs> we'll cut that black. You know, part this off actually
2: later. makes yeah. me think of uh, <laughs> uh,
3: another another tip for packing light, and it has to do with something I did with my sleep system this year, and that is any kind of gear that you can carry with you that has multifunction use. Exactly. The more uses it has, yeah. the lighter weight you're going to go. And so what I'm thinking on the sleep system for example, I went with um what's called a quilt this year. So it doesn't have a hood like a mummy bag. The back is completely open. So when you're laying on your pad, you're compressing all that down. So you're really not getting much insulating value. So these ultra lightweight sleep system companies um, like Enlightened Equipment, which is the one I use. They're just like, well, it's not doing you any good. Let's cut the back out. Your pad oh. is what's making you warm. So why carry that extra weight of down? And then what I did is I took crazy. I took a little hood that had down in it that was just like, you just pull it over your head. So if I got really cold, I could sort of turn it into a quasi-mummy bag. But during the day, if I was cold when I was hunting, I could also wear that same hood nice, and and keep myself really warm. So I had multi-functions of use. And actually that hood and the Enlightened Equipment bag that i had the quilt that i had combined is the lightest weight sleep system i've ever had and it was the most comfortable sleep system sub two pounds yeah Yeah, it was the bag itself i think is about 22 ounces yeah that's incredible that's just phenomenal and what it does is it it has a little elastic strap that wraps around your pad there's two of them actually and what i found is that if you're one of those people that tosses and turns at night especially when you're camping in the past with a mummy bag i find myself that thing is twisted up you know, so bad by the time I wake you're up. In a, you're
1: in a big spiral for a yeah. yeah, It's, yeah. Laying, it's unzipped. Yeah. You're laying yeah. on a zipper, yeah. you don't sleep over, all yeah.
3: the kids wake up, just like yeah. totally contorted. Yeah. But the the quilt with the elastic, two elastic straps going around the bottom of your pad kept it in place, and I could stretch if I wanted to, and because it was elastic and it was open on the bottom, it would stretch out as much as I wanted, but then it would pull itself back and keep me warm. Yep. And so I just, I loved it. It was
4: what it was, was awesome. the, What was the... um temp on your quilt, and what pad were you using?
3: So I was using a 10-degree rated Enlightened Equipment quilt. I got the, it was the extra wide one, so it had a little bit more that would come underneath my my body, just on the edges. They have a choice of, like, the higher rated down, which I, I, I use their higher rated down, which is lighter mm-hmm. um, per temp rating. And then the pad I was using was the Thermarest; It's their lightest weight one. I forget what it's called. Yeah, I know which one. It, right now in the market, I think it's the lightest weight-rated full-length okay. pad. I almost didn't even take a full-length pad just to cut a couple more ounces out of my pack. And I was going to use maybe my pack itself to like insulate my feet, possibly. Okay. Um, but then <laughs> sure. along with that, what I did, too, is a lot of guys take a sit pad during the day, right? And so what I bought was inst- a sit pad. Usually, like you'll see them on the market. They're maybe two, three ounces. I bought this thing. It was two ounces. It's an eighth-inch closed cell foam pad. And it was about five feet long, and so I could fold that into a, a thirds or quarters and sit on it when I'm glassing. But the other thing I could do is I laid it down underneath at night, underneath my my uh, Thermarest pad, and it did two things for me. It gave me more insulation value, and it also protected the pad from puncture, which would right. be pretty right. disastrous out there. And then um, if I did puncture my inflatable pad, I still have an eighth-inch right. closed-cell foam yep, right. to at least yeah. a survival situation. So oh, that was a cell closed foam. closed cell. I was yeah, like foam. cell
0: phone pad. Yeah, no, no. Who needs a five-foot <laughs> cell phone pad? Yeah.
4: <laughs> but
3: <laughs> the, that. IPhone,
0: the iPhone Plus just got uh, a lot bigger. But that yeah. was
3: a, a to me. I, I mean, I was ecstatic about that setup because I'm like, now I'm actually making myself safer. And I'm combining things into more multi-use, and I'm getting lighter weight at right. the same time. Yeah,
1: that's good. You know. to, the other, you know, and the other thing you can do to, that probably works very well with those quilts is think of all your apparel as is really as part of your part sleeping of system, system yeah, too, yeah, like yeah. your puffy oh, yeah. jacket, all that stuff. Yeah. You can, you know, and I think especially with a quilt that probably works really well. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can you can wear that stuff at night. Yeah. The, yeah. Wor- you know, you the worst
2: can, the worst thing I found was constriction inside of my bag was reducing the effectiveness of of the insulating down. Yeah. And so, with the quilt being as you know, kind of voluminous as they are, yeah, or open, yeah, you put your puffy on, you put your puffy pants on, and you're, yep. snob- you're pretty snob- happy, on, yeah. You yeah. Yeah. more yeah. hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is, absolutely, yeah. it is. The well, board. I mean, the lightest weight ten degree
3: full mummy bag I can find is maybe a hair under two pounds, so right. thirty two ounces, and the cost, and this is thing is like twenty two. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing, the cost, the enlightened equipment. I mean. They're made, I think they're made right in Minnesota, Winona, so yeah, next Winona, door. Minnesota. And um, their cost compared to a lot of the other high end brands that are out there is a 50% lot better. or better yep, than, yep. than that. Crazy, yeah, pretty yeah, good so. way to
0: go. That's awesome.
3: The other uh, multi use piece of equipment that I loved was uh, my trekking poles as the center pole to my tent this sure. year. And I am a trekking pole fan, it was just maybe another discussion, but um, I was carrying a Hyperlight Ultimate 4 tent this year. And that thing was unbelievably awesome. And that's another area where you can cut a lot of weight on. I mean, it's a four-person tent. It's nine feet by nine feet square on the f- footprint of that tent. And any other tent that would come close to that size, using a lot of the other materials that are out there, even the ultra lightweight ones, might be in the four to five pound. Yeah, sure. I was going to say my, yeah. this yeah. one. It's yeah. twenty-five ounces yeah. for what? that tent, right yeah. in the twenty-five ounce. You're making presence. almost like
0: a bedroom-sized yeah. area. And it's a, it's the
3: weight of a lot of bivy sacks, but it's, yeah. it was enormous. And so for, for me and my hunting partner, I mean, we had so much room in there. We could pull our rifles, our packs, our gear, everything, and we still had plenty of room yeah. to spare.
4: Yeah, a and great they hold up,
3: a lot of the mountaineers are using them on big mountains, and they're holding up to just insane winds, snow load when they get snowed on. You know, it's a Dyneema fiber is what they're using, so they're just super light. But then, yeah, you're using your trekking pole for the center pole, and, you know, during the day, I see trekking poles as a huge aid of active weight. I call it active weight because it's really aiding me when I'm out there hiking. And so, I, in a way, I can almost feel like I'm not, I am not—I don't have to count that weight into my tent weight. Sure. Because during the day, it's aiding me. And then at night, I throw it up and put my tent up. Well, that's another so, dual-use thing right yep, there, dual too. dual-use
4: right there, yeah. So, when you... When you would leave camp, you would just pull the trekking pole, and then the tent would just no. I, mean, collapse I, I didn't
3: use the trekking poles during the day. And, oh, really? And we actually just had, you know, I had considered doing like hauling in, setting up a base camp, and then spiking out from there. But that's obviously two sets of shelters. So I was just like, I'm going to go so lightweight that I can just almost carry everything with me every day, and that's the way I went. And so a lot of times, if we were going hunting out from the camp we were so close to the spots we were going to be glassing it would maybe like one of the where i hauled um that 18 liters of water to that nice camp i found we were glassing f- less than 50 yards from the tent okay it was awesome gotcha. yeah. oh, okay. you know and that's why we were able to do that we could put our tent right where we wanted to glass or very near maybe out of sight of course but very near to where we wanted to glass you know because we were so lightweight, we could just haul around everywhere. But
0: so. otherwise, then you'd take down your tent, and then you'd take your trekking poles with you instead No,
3: I'd leave the trekking poles in the tent during oh, the day when okay. I was glassing. And, you know, and of course, my buddy had a set of trekking poles. So if we got an animal down and we really needed to haul, I could either run back to the tent real quick, which was 50 yards away, oh, grab my poles, or we could just use his trekking poles for one of the guys. And, you know, realistically, you're, you're not shooting an animal
0: that, that far from the tent right. at that point. Now I get it. So... Man, this is all good stuff. I MC- w- here. Let's call it a last call. Okay. You, all right. Mine is MC a wild Ryan, card question. MC for Ryan you guys. flashed the uh, the one hour thing at me a little bit ago. So let's do <laughs> let's do last calls. You,
5: Eric, your question can be your last call. Yeah. Let's 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 do that. So I've I've uh, I have a, a buddy who does a lot of backcountry hunting, and he had brought mules in the past. Have you guys ever brought llamas? Because he, he was talking about how he switched from mules to llamas because llamas <laughs> can go without water. They're way lighter and, to carry. Yeah, yeah. You, your llama <laughs> fits in your backpack yeah. better. So, do you guys have any experience Paul, with that? Uh, Paul Nees told me the best no. thing about llamas. You don't llamas have to pack your merino. Yeah, you just buzz them off. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> Paul, Paul told me something about llamas and horses and how they don't get along because they never
1: met in history. Well, <laughs> yeah, typically when horses they, horses don't like llamas. I've worked with horses. Don't, don't lie, bring one of each. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That is a a well known in the animal kingdom yeah. rivalry. Yeah,
2: they meet each other on the trail, and the horse is like, "The hell is that?" And the, you know, the llama's just <laughs> stop. And, right? Yeah, weird looking
1: alien. I face. think when you get into the llamas, Eric, you've you've moved out of the ultra light yeah. yeah. backpacking. And now you're you're getting into the luxury yeah. 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 The with You can, well, where you I can was, start. You can start bringing the beer no, along. Yeah, yeah. You got yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where I
3: was this this fall, there were guys that actually got mules back there and i mean kudos to them i don't know how they got those mules back there and maybe it was better for them but i'll tell you i i was looking at that and we actually hiked back we followed their trail back down because they'd kind of blazed a trail and it looked more difficult trying to get those mules up there than it did just hauling your gear in and i was (laughs) thinking like man i'm so glad i didn't have mules up here and they looked at us like we were crazy because we palled everything in for you know eleven and a half days, and I was like, "No way! I mean, there's no way I want to bring mules up here." Yeah. yeah, but it depends on the hunt. There's some places where I think it's really conducive to right. horses and mules, mm-hmm. you
0: know, or and, goats. Somebody yeah. out there does goats yeah. too. Yep. 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 Mark, what do you got? Last, last call,
4: man. My last call is this. Is always such a fun conversation, and when it comes to you know true backcountry stuff, I've got you know fairly limited experience. You know, i have just not. I've done a lot of hunting, but not a lot of multi-day backcountry stuff, and. I've got a lot of great gear. I think I need to refine some of that gear. That quilt system actually sounds pretty sweet. I've kind of been like mentally anti-quilt for some reason, and I I can't really say why, maybe because I have a fear of being cold. Go to it and don't turn back. That's what I'd say. Uh, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna He's trust going the quill. The yes, yeah, yeah. Trust that. the Dave. I also have a fear of not having water, so I'm always packing maybe even too much water. But um,
1: whole bag full of filters. Yeah, <laughs> dehydrated but, water. So yeah. my goals, yeah. and I also still go, trying
4: to work on that one. Dehydrated. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was on that Colorado hunt, and you know, we weren't. You know, we live at a pretty low elevation here. I think we're what about 800 feet. And we yep. weren't exceptionally high when we were in Colorado, but that elevation kicked the you-know-what out of me. And I was, I was feeling that quite a bit, or I'm just incredibly out of shape. So we'll find out tomorrow when we're at about 3,000 feet which one of those things is true. But I guess my big last call, and maybe I'm saying this publicly to hold myself accountable, I am going to start getting myself in better shape to, uh, to do on, these things better. Now. I know, right? Yeah. Exactly. I'm doing yeah. it to myself. But I'm also going to be more uh, cognizant. Like, I've got a lot of, you know, pretty high-speed, low-drag gear, but I can make it lower-drag, and I want to do that and see if I can refine myself. Spreadsheet? Maybe not to Dave yeah. level. Spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I might get some help with that spreadsheet. There you go. And we'll go from there. So I think right, it'd be the first cool. spreadsheet I've ever seen Mark make. It would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I'm having Dave help?
0: Yeah. Me? <laughs> My last call is uh, probably similar to what you just said, but uh, I frequently poke fun at Dave for all of his nerdy lightweight spreadsheets and things uh, and all of his very exact plans of his hunts when he lays out a map and puts down... He doesn't just use Onyx. He actually lays out a physical map. Like I- actual... I'm old
3: school. The yeah. lost art of I physical like maps. Maps. I like yeah. compass
0: and map. I'm old school. Yeah, so I poke fun at him for that all the time. However, I, um, I go to him for advice for like all that stuff. Just because yep. just it really honestly... It can't hurt as long as you're not like oh, I'm going to shave weight by just not bringing food at all, it can't hurt, you know? And it's like, okay, do more push-ups. It's like, okay, I did more push-ups. I'm still going to go lightweight so that I can actually utilize what I got for more push-ups to go further. There you have there it.
1: There you go. There you go. Yeah. You <laughs> go. yeah. yeah. Paul? I'll, I'll throw in your one, you know, it's, it's, I guess, kind of the downside to all this stuff, and that's that all this gear we're talking about is really cool gear. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's really expensive. Yeah, yeah, so true. don't, I think what I would throw out to people is don't, you know, maybe someone will get interested in this after this conversation. They'll kind of go out and read around the forums yep. and, the. you know, talk with the gear junkies out there. Don't necessarily get wrapped up in having to have absolutely the latest, yeah, greatest, latest, coolest thing, because you, you know, you you run up an astronomical bill doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that comes really close to being the best that's, lot less expensive, yep, you know and that you can do that with I think there's times I've in Dave you and I run much of the same gear. I've sat and kind of mentally tallied up the cost of, of what looks to be this tiny. You're oh, a braver man than me. Is, that's the spreadsheet. Abs- yeah. that's the, the spreadsheet number, you don't you know? want to look at. Yeah, yeah. 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 So is. you know, don't don't get hung up on having to have just that yeah, absolute that's, that's coolest good, great gear. You know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. That's yeah, actually, not that's, so that's that's
4: a good last call. If you are going to make a spreadsheet, don't put a dollar figure column <laughs> on it because if maybe your sig yeah. other finds yeah. that, you're going to have another well, issue on your hands. Well, actually,
3: sometimes. Some really cheap stuff is actually some of the best lightest weight stuff. Yeah. There's some disposable things out there. Like for example, the ground sheet on my tent. Eight bucks for a ground sheet and it's like one and a half ounces and it lasts for a good trip. And then you tear it up after that and it's done, you know. And so there are sometimes some really good ultra cheap stuff that's really lightweight. Yeah. Shop, yeah.
0: shop around yeah, a yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What you got Dave.
3: So I was going to say compartmentalization. So I'm a big fan of that. Now, you might say, well, if you're compartmentalizing your pack, is that more weight for all these bags? Well, yes, but this year I used their compartmentalization Dyneema bags, and they're about half an ounce each, and it does a couple things. One is I like to be fast, not only light. So if you've ever been on a hunt and you've been with – you know, your buddy, or maybe you've been the guy where it's like, well, yeah, I'll be ready to go in just a second. And you have this explosion all over the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're high altitude and the wind's blowing and now all the stuff, things going everywhere, that kind of one, it can tell you you're carrying too much stuff. But the other thing is it just makes you a lot quicker if you sort of compartmentalize things in those bags. And then what I would say is when I compartmentalize those bags, they're so lightweight, I can unpack and pack super fast, but don't feel like you got to stuff it so it's just like hard as a rock like a basketball when you stuff it in there those bags are so lightweight leave them a little bit loose so that you can compress it around inside your pack otherwise you're trying to put a whole bunch of basketballs in your pack versus things okay. that can right can you know shape now and move around know. but it just makes you a lot faster when you know you want to unpack your camp and get it and sometimes you know survival wise when you're out there hunting you need to get a tent up fast and you need to get you know, unpack quickly or vice versa. You, you want to get on the move because you've seen where the animals are at and you want to pack that camp up and you don't want to be the guy holding everybody up. So yeah. I like compartmentalization. It's good stuff. Good tip. Right. Good to close us out?
2: Uh, sure. I, I think for a lot of people listening, the thought process now is you've got to go on the internet and spend a tremendous amount of money to do it. And Like Paul yeah. said, you don't. Like Dave said, be organized. The biggest takeaway from this one, the ultralight hunting thing, for me, the best piece of success is – to Dave's tip, the spreadsheet. It has been remarkable. When I created it, I I drew it up originally with everything I thought I needed. Yep. I checked the boxes. I took it on a hunt. I came back and said, absolutely not to a lot of that stuff. Just deleted that column completely. So it was out of sight, out of mind. And every year it gets smaller and smaller and more refined. And now You know, it's getting to the point where I hope to, at some point, just have my pack set, ready to go, kind of wherever I go. And aside from a couple of key things, depending on climate or terrain, you don't have to add much to it and you're ready to run. Um, So organization is is almost as much anything uh, or as almost as important as anything in, in ultralight hunting because it is a different speed. It's like uh,
0: Ken blocks Ford Fiesta WRC where they can just change out the suspension and wheels and tires. And exactly all what it's I a Rallycross yeah. machine. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it's a drag or a, a drift machine. Then all of a sudden it's you know. Yeah.
2: Also quintessential car reference. All right, there we go. <laughs> None of it was making sense <laughs> right. until you put in that perspective. Right. You're yeah. welcome, car yeah. guys. Don't buy a big giant rifle caliber if you're going to buy a light rifle. Yeah. Buy something palatable that you can shoot well. Yep. yep. That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. That's Good a great tip. one. Awesome.
0: All righty. Well, we're gonna stick a fork in this one—a very lightweight fork, (laughs) titanium, Uh, yeah, or or or, or maybe aluminum even, or plastic. Yeah, um, (laughs) plastic sporks are cheap. So I got all off topic. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. What do you think about lightweight hunting? Comment when we post this one on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. Uh, Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to know about International Man of Mystery Dave. We probably won't tell you, but it'd just be funny to know what you uh, what you want to know or what you think he did. (laughs) Alrighty, and we'll uh, see you guys next time. Happy hunting and shooting. See ya. See ya. All right, see you All later. Right. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation Podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be.